Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Ah, welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio. 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show highlighting issues around homelessness. Uh, my name's Bill, and for the next hour, my guests will be talking about alcoholism and the family disease. I'd like to welcome Marie and Sylvia to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi. Hi, Hi Bill. Bill. Uh, as members of Al-Anon family groups, they're going to share their experience of living with the effects of alcoholism and how Al-Anon has helped them. Uh, Marie, um, what I was going to talk to you about was um, the, the things that happen in your childhood and as you're growing up and, and the, the things that you think had, had an impact on you being attracted to an alcoholic. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. Well, thank you. It's great to have the opportunity to speak about um, Al-Anon, the wonderful program, um, and my childhood was uh, very restricted. Um, look, it wasn't all negative by any means, but it, um, because I'm the oldest of six I was the oldest of six children. I had a lot of responsibility growing up. Um, and um, <clears throat> the era I grew up in was 50s when children were to be seen and not heard. And I was a very good little kid. And um, obedience was the big thing in our household. Um, my grandfather was a quite a raging alcoholic. And um, Dad was so turned off by that, the embarrassment, humiliation, all those effects of the family disease that he became a teetotaler. Um, so I grew up in a very strict, almost oppressive family um, home, um, uh, although I did know that I was safe and, um, yeah, knew where I belonged. So, But um, I didn't really, wasn't encouraged to um, explore much or share my feelings about anything um, because it was all about, you know, um, working hard and um, making a living and mum and dad supporting us, six kids, and I... I by all means, not all negative, but um, some positives. And but I do appreciate that my parents did the best that they could. Yeah. So, did you think that your <coughs> childhood was different to other kids? No, no. I certainly didn't think no. that. Um, I think most kids don't think that. They think that they grow, you know, the family home they grow up in is quite normal. Mind you, we weren't encouraged. And again, I didn't think this was abnormally that because being the oldest of six, we were never encouraged to have friends to come to the house you know we could play outside in those days we played outside a lot (laughs) didn't want to get under mum's feet or dad's but um yeah but but never encouraged to have friends come and stay overnight or for weekends or anything like that and we had to make our own fun mum often said you know go outside and play yeah Yeah. well that was the thing about the time though wasn't it yeah everybody i'm say as kids i remember being out on the street Mm. and there was hardly any cars and Mm. so you could do yeah you Mm. could do all those things without Mm. yeah Mm. without any real worries Mm. yeah yeah that's right so we had to make our own fun a lot of the time so so were you from a big family yes i'm the oldest of six and um yeah and uh, i've also had a big family myself my own children. Okay. That's down right. the track, though. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so being such a controlling sort of home life, did you try and get out of there as soon as you could? I did try. I, did, I was pretty pretty slow learner. I tried when I was 18, um, and Dad said, well, if, you, if you're going to go and live in an apartment, don't expect to come back, which was pretty confronting and intimidating. 
And so I, I buckled down. Um, but then soon after that, I met my um, one and only love of my life, my hus- to future husband. So, um, yeah, and he was he ticked all the right boxes, Bill, because yeah. he was from the local church and he was, you know, highly educated, the right religion and all. And um, and his parents and my parents knew each other, so I think my parents thought he was a pretty good, pretty safe. good choice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, and he's the one I eventually married. Right. Three okay. years down the track after that, so I was just barely twenty-one. Right. When I married and pregnant as well, okay. so of course we had the rush to the altar. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, I I really loved this guy, and I, I didn't honestly know a lot about him, but I was willing to trust him. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so we were married. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so was his drinking a problem? No, it wasn't a problem for many years. And, um, you know, we went on and had six children of our own, four very close together um, and then two later on. But um, he, his drinking really didn't bother me for about 20 years, I must say, because it was not until the teenage pressure started when, um, you know, it started to cause um, problems in our relationship too. Um, and um, we became sort of um, more separate and isolated from each other. His drinking was, um, and his work, they were the two big things um, that kept him very busy and separate from me. Um, but I was also very busy with the children, of course, yeah, looking yeah. after the six kids. Yeah. So, you know, we were kind of like um, passing ships in the night a lot of the time. Yeah. Okay. So, but. Um, you know, basically sticking together and, and looking after the family. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, Sylvia, was your childhood any different? Um, I can look back, and at the time also, I knew that um, my parents, um, they chose our friend. They didn't choose our friends, but they were never very happy about some of the choices we made as friends. But Initially, I started off that I was the third child of four children and my mother was having me when they were burnt out of their home. And I think that was a very difficult start for the family. But uh, my father went on to get a job. Uh, He'd been on a farm and, uh, of course, he lost that job with the fire. And then um, it was very difficult for them to make a start, but they made that start. And so my both my parents were very inclined to uh, try to cut off, cut us off. And they were always very proud that they made, they looked after us and didn't go out of the home. And we were to tell nobody about what took place in our home. Not that there was anything unusual, but we certainly were isolated from other children. So I went out of that um, home uh, expecting to not trust um, other people, to always be self-independent and to, um, yes, uh, to to go, you know, into the world. And so do you think they were affected by alcoholism, oh, by their actions? Oh, yeah. I do, yes. Yeah. Um I, I wonder from what I have learnt in Al-Anon from listening to other people's stories and a lot of the time that's how I do reflect back because I look at the similarities of people's stories and look at my own situation and I can see that um, they, because they didn't trust other people that maybe they had been affected or the people that had read them had been affected by alcohol and so therefore they were very self-sufficient in their beliefs about things and um, 
Yes, so I went out into the world not seeking help from anybody and just taking my own counsel, not that that was terribly good <laughs> at the time. Um, yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah. Um, so when you met your husband-to-be, did you have any indi- any inkling that his drinking was a problem? Oh, I, I didn't understand drinking at all. I was quite fearful. Uh, my parents had always shunned alcohol, although I can remember one year Dad did bring home a box of long-neck beers and at Christmas time, and we were all so shocked at all this beer in the house, um, and he explained that it was just for Christmas. I don't remember it being drunk at all, but, um, you know, there just wasn't alcohol. I know Mum sometimes had a sherry, uh, (laughs) but a bottle of sherry was really, you know, something uh, unusual usual in our home so um and it and it would last for about a year oh yes until (laughs) it was probably bought for the christmas cake and lasted until the next christmas um but in my marriage my um husband certainly he would have um a regular um beer um perhaps every second night and if we had visitors over um which we did um quite frequently and uh, it became more frequent as the time went by um, we did have alcohol and I didn't take exception to that at all because I didn't think it was a problem it just grew to be a problem after the children became old, much older and we I suppose we had more money too because there just wasn't the money around at that stage and no yes yeah so how old were you when you met your husband uh, I was 21 and I married him when I was 21 and a half. Okay. <laughs> and I must say that the body clock was, you know, in those days, um, women felt that uh, they needed to have their first child before they were 23. Very different to what it is now. And I had my first child uh, about three months before I turned 23. Wow. And so that was, re- I was really quite pleased about that. Yes, mind you, I'd had my second one just before I turned 22, uh, 24 as well, yes. So uh, they were fairly fast in coming. Okay. Mm. Um, So I think you said before that uh, the drinking became a problem later in your relationship. Yes, that's correct. So what happened? What what were the things that made you think this his drinking is a problem do you know i it never occurred to me that the drinking was a problem um i um just when the children had all grown up i felt that i had been um working hard um both on because we were on a farm both on the farm and off the fun farm with my employment and i thought with all the children away at their higher education and their work that our marriage would be coming together and in actual fact um, we were not um, comfortable in each other's company at all and it wasn't coming together if anything it was drifting apart and um, uh, I was uh, talking to somebody on the tennis court about that and actually I was crying while we were 
playing tennis and that's not a good look or yeah. it's certainly <laughs> not good for the tennis team that you're playing with. Yeah. And um, this friend of mine asked me to come to lunch the next day and when I rolled up for lunch, she had a um, brown paper bag with some sandwiches in it and she was a working woman so she said to me, look, I can't come with you but um, I've got this friend from Al-Anon and I want you to go with her to a meeting and she explained to me what Al-Anon was and everything like that. She said, I don't know if there's any problems with drinking in your home. I'm just rolling my eyes now. <laughs> she knew what was going in my ho- on in my home, but I didn't. Mm. Um, and she made me promise that um, I would go to six meetings and that I would look for the similarities, not the differences. And uh, so I went off to the meeting with this friend and um, I could instantly see um, the similarities. Um, however... Um, I still didn't think that my my personal story, not that I'd said it because I didn't know, even know what my story was then, but, but the things that were happening to me, I didn't think they were anywhere near as bad as the other people um, that were telling their stories. But gradually, by listening to the positive uh, things, I could see all the similarities and I began to see what was happening in my life that was making my life difficult and I could understand why I'd been crying on that tennis um, match because in actual fact I had thought many years before that um, the amount of money that we were spending on alcohol for my husband um, was costing us almost as much as it was to feed our family for a fortnight. So I would buy the beer so he wouldn't go to the pub. There were all sorts of things that I could see that I was doing Mm. um, that were creating a problem. And um, so, yes, it's... um yeah, yeah, it's often often called enabling. Um, mm. <laughs> what the activities we do mm. to try and control or control or limit the amount of alcohol that the uh, alcoholic consumes. Yes, um, we want our family to have a good look, yeah. and uh, a, the husband being in the pub all the time isn't a good look, <laughs> and we're going to avoid that at all costs. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and it's part of the denial. So, um, mm. uh, Marie, denial at this point in your life about the problems mm. how did you what what sort of things were you doing well i, I i'm just reflecting on what uh, sylvie was saying about buying the alcohol because yeah. i used to i used to do that too um with the groceries i th- look the people pleasing was just you know enormous <laughs> for me i can look back and laugh a bit now but um that's what i was doing you know thinking i was being the good wife and everything um, to make him happy, buying his um, stubbies along with the groceries. But um, but I, I was also thinking about the pub drinking and the home drinking. My mother said to me, you'll be all right, Marie, as long as he doesn't drink at the pub, Yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, she didn't really understand. In those days they thought if, if you know, if the husband was drinking at the pub it was one thing, but if he was drinking at home it, it was okay. You know, so didn't really understand about the family disease or anything. But the denial bill for me was also very heavily influenced by my religious upbringing and the shame connected with alcoholism, you know, um, because my grandfather was a 
uh, like I said earlier, raging alcoholic. And um, as children growing up, we could see what was happening, but we were never permitted to... It was the elephant in the room, never permitted to talk about it. Mm. We just didn't know how to, and it was, I guess, very painful for my parents, my father in particular, to talk to us about it. I can always remember him just saying once, and he only said it to me once, that alcohol causes a lot of trouble in families. And that's the only time he ever said that. And, of course, you know, I didn't understand what was behind all that. Yeah. Yeah. And he was an alcoholic. My father wasn't. Oh, sorry. Grandfather was. Yeah, grandfather, yeah. He was an adult child without a program and all the isms, as we call them, the behaviours, the stoicism. I picked up the judgmentalism and, you know, because when I eventually came to Al-Anon, I really wanted to punish. I was so angry with my husband because... I thought I'd done absolutely everything I could, you know, as the good wife and mother. And I I was so confused. I didn't know why my marriage wasn't working out the way I thought it could have or should have, you know. And, of course, it was all blame on my husband. I didn't think that I had a part in it at all. No, because you were trying so hard to fix it. (laughs) I was trying so hard as the fixer, you know, and the manager and the martyr, all those things, I I thought – and I was quite angry because all I wanted to do was I thought all my problems would be solved, like many new members that come into Al-Anon, if he would get sober. If he just stopped drinking. If he just stopped drinking, yeah. then all my problems would be, you know, fantastically <laughs> solved, you know. But, um, yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it, it's been a wonderful journey. Yeah, Okay. You're listening to Living Free on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you want to uh, listen to a podcast of the show, they're available on 3cr.org.au forward slash livingfree and also on iTunes. If you have a question or comment about the show, you can call the station on 94198377 or send us an email at 3crlivingfree at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at 3CR Living Free. And we're also on Twitter at 3CR Living Free. As you may be aware, 3CR Radiothon is coming to Living Free uh, next week on the 14th of June. We hope that you enjoy our show and are willing to provide some financial support to Living Free to keep us and 3CR on the air. The Radiothon theme this year is Fight for Your Mic, and that pretty much sums up Living Free. We're all about sharing personal recovery stories of alcoholics, gamblers, food and drug addicts and their families. Remember, your support will keep our message of hope on the airwaves. Uh, we also have a Give Now crowdraiser fa- crowd page that you can donate to 3CR. So if you just Google Give Now 3CR Living Free, uh, those words, you'll find it on online. Uh, I'm speaking to Marie and Sylvia. They're from Alanon Family Groups. And we're talking about alcoholism, the family disease, and how Alanon can help. Um, so I-, I might start with you this time, Sylvia. Um, so you got into Alanon. And it allowed you to understand a bit more about yourself and also alcoholism. So how did you find the meetings initially? How did they meet your needs? Oh, I've drawn a blank there, Bill. Uh, How did they meet my needs? Well, I must say that I began to realise from listening to the stories just how affected I was and how my behaviour was unacceptable. And I was in a lot of denial about what what I um, 
because Al-Anon talks about not the, the alcoholic, they mostly talk about themselves and how they could do things in a different way. And it had never occurred to me that I could do things in a different way. I was certainly doing a lot of things. I was micromanaging the family and doing everything I possibly could. Um, but those things that I was doing wasn't, weren't necessarily helping me. Um, so I just had to learn from Alan on uh, the things that I could change in myself um, that, and to try a different way, certainly because the way that I had been behaving wasn't working and that there was the possibility that if I changed the way I did things, and I did that by choosing a sponsor. Um, a sponsor is somebody who we can reflect about things personally not uh, the, that are away from the meeting, and I chose a sponsor who I liked her story and I chose her so that I could get information of how she'd done things. All she did was tell me about, she related to me about the things that she'd done in her life and that gave me ideas of some of the things I could change in my behaviour and um, that helped me to um, change the things that I could um, because in my head um, I had so many things. I, I often say that there was a committee going on in my head and I just wanted a quiet mind. And um, and so she used to say to me to um, pray for that as well. And I'd given up prayer. I don't think I really even knew what that was. And certainly... Um, the God of my understanding, my spiritual life had fallen away. And so she talked to me about um, perhaps having more faith in myself and to go back to the faith of my understanding and to act as if and just pretend and see if there was anything there that could help me. And um, so that was something that I did. Mm. So what sort of things did you find yourself, look, looking back, what did you find yourself doing that you felt was unacceptable? questioning where my husband had been and what he was doing. Um, also, when he would come in the door after work of an evening as he was working on the farm, um, I was wanting to intercept him. As he'd come in the door, I'd be wanting to tell him all sorts of things. That perhaps the phone had rung and somebody gave a message and all he wanted to do was get in get round the corner, open up the drinks fridge. We had a, a drinks fridge and we had a food fridge and he'd get into the drinks fridge and he'd get the first beer out and I could always remember in Al-Anon they said, don't stop that first beer. And I could used to wait until the zip of the can and then I'd thought, think I could speak. But no, I found after a long period of time that really... I had to have, hear the second zip of the can. <laughs> right. And then he would settle down. Then he knew, I think, I'm imagining it now, this is the committee in my head. I imagine that um, by the second one, he knew I wasn't going to stop him. Yeah. My, my, because the whole thing was, I didn't even know that he was really wanting a beer. Um, the other thing too, I can remember at meetings they'd say to me, you know, at about four o'clock, if you're driving somewhere and you're going too slowly, that 
people will bip you. And if you turn around, it's probably somebody who's rushing home to get their first beer. So I learned so much from just listening in Eladon and my, the committee in my head um, started to quieten down. Yeah. So did your husband's drinking, did it change after you got into Eladon? No, I can't say it did. I think there were a lot of other issues going on. and um, But my drinking changed because it was interesting. I discovered that in actual fact he was trying to top me up so that I wouldn't even notice what he was doing. Okay. And I certainly, you know, I'd come in the door and he'd have a gin and tonic for me or he'd have mm. um, uh, uh, vodka and orange. Yeah. And uh, that was my favourite. And I quite missed that, but I started really realising that that wasn't helping between two people trying to sort out their lives and having alcohol as the mix really wasn't working. What we needed to do was work out some sort of plan as parents and as partners and to try and get our life on, life on track and then we could settle. It would have been nicer if we'd then settled down and had a drink later when we'd got the issues of the day out um, yeah. and set you know, that would have been much better. But we were talking together with the mix of alcohol and sometimes it would get pretty heated. Yeah. Yes, never a good mix. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, Marie, um, I understand you moved overseas a few times Mm. in support of your husband's work. So what was it? Was that isolating? Oh, absolutely. Geographically and in every way. Yeah. but, you know, he wasn't drinking at that stage. It was just the, um, you know, the lack of um, <clears throat> the lack of input, really. You know, I was just expected um, to fall into place because, you know, he was the chief breadwinner and I was the, um, the mother and wife. And um, so I was just expected to fall into line and go wherever he wanted to go with his career. And, um, you know, so I didn't feel like I had much of a voice. Yeah. It was really a bit of a doormat, if you like, and taken for granted that, you know, with this big, these two big opportunities, we went to live in the States, that, um, <clears throat> you know, I would just fall into line. So, um, yeah, so I became, especially the second time when we had a mixture of teenagers and little kids, two little ones, that um, it became much more tricky um, with them at different stages, the children and their schooling, and it's very complicated. Um, and um, eventually I found the courage to say, we need to come back, you know, it's time because it's the beginning of the school year and I want the children to um, start with all the other kids, you know, the beginning of the school year. Yep. And um, and that met with, met with a lot of <coughs> um, resistance and resentment on his part because um, it was he saw that as me interfering with his career. Yep. So, you know, and and so the resentment built and when we came back after that, um, he started drinking more and, um, you know, we sort of were drifting apart and I was getting very desperate thinking the marriage was going down the gurgler. And um, <clears throat> so, um, yeah, eventually um, I, I was falling, I felt into a deep depression and despair when... When we came back, I thought everything was going to be hunky-dory and we'd just pick up where we were before. But, of course, we'd both changed over those years and um, it was the second time we were away for just on three years. Um, and things, we'd both moved on, of course, and um, things were not the same. So um, I eventually picked up the phone and rang AA and said, you know, I need help. And it described um, 
what was going on and and the guy at the other end said you need Al-Anon family groups and I'm very grateful to that member of AA for recommending uh, Al-Anon because um I've I've just gone from strength to strength mm. since and uh, you know I've, I I can only count my blessings for what I've found mm. yeah yeah one of the things about um Geographicals is, and I'm say each each time you move, it's a geographical. So you move overseas, it's a geographical. Hope things will improve. Move back, you hope things will improve. And mm. what people don't really understand about geographicals is that it, you take yourselves with you. Mm. So you're taking mm. the problem mm. with you each mm. time you do this mm. move. Mm. So did you did you see it as a as a sort of a geographical? Did you think coming home would solve the problem? I thought so. Yes. Yeah. Unrealistically, I thought so. Um, but we'd both changed quite a bit in that time. Um, and we moved back to the family home in a country town. Um, and, um, you know, I thought everything would just pick up from where we left off. But that was unrealistic yeah. because we had both changed. Yeah. So yeah. did you try anything else apart from Alan? We did try another um, marriage support program, um, you know, when we were overseas, um, which helped a little bit, you know, because I was very isolated. I couldn't work because of the green card in the States. I wasn't allowed to. So, you know, I had to just look after the children because um, someone had to be there, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah to, so, uh, anyway, um, yeah, so, um, but I, I um, you know, once I did get into Al-Anon, yeah, I went from strength to strength, as I said. Right, okay. <laughs> yeah. So um, I usually ask people about their first meeting. Can yeah. you remember what it was like? Uh, I, I can't. Well, actually, it took me a couple of years. Um, a girlfriend first, I'll backtrack a, a second. Uh, a girlfriend took me to my very first meeting. It was a nighttime meeting, and um, uh, I was very confused. And, and this particular friend was asked to stand up and give a personal story. And I, I was quite confronted and overwhelmed by that. And I didn't understand really. I guess I wasn't ready. And they say, you know, um, that when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Um, it's a Zen saying, I think. And um, so it took me a couple of years. And, and I think a couple of years of more slipping into my rock bottom and experiencing more pain in the marriage before I was really ready to let go and surrender and say, I need help, you know, because I was trained to be strong and independent and look yep. after myself. That was my childhood. Yep. Um, but I eventually had to let go and say yes. I tried personal counselling, marriage counselling, and it didn't work in the long term, you know, whereas Al-Anon has been a long-term solution for me because I've put the work in and I've taken up the program and worked it, yep. you know, in, in lots of ways. And there's just been so many benefits. Okay. Thank you. Mm. Um, Sylvia, um, so... You'd been in Alaron for a while. Your husband wasn't stopping drinking. Mm-hmm. So what happened? Uh, well, there was a breakdown in the family, the extended family, and it was uh, and our marriage fell apart. And uh, at the time, I was devastated by that because I could see in Alaron that um, maybe we could become closer. But so I, I was really disappointed because I had my sights on. The happily ever after, and you know, after all the hard work of rearing the family and that all grown up, well, they, they were still in their late teens and early twenties, but things weren't going well. And so then I was 
in a position where I had no home because I'd been rejected from that and we were going through separation and divorce. And so a friend of mine said to backpack around the world um, and I asked my sponsor about that and she also encouraged me and I had some settlement money from the marriage and so rather than um, settling down immediately and buying a home, another home, um, I backpacked around the world on my own and uh, my sponsor and I chatted because I hadn't done any homework at all on travelling and I was a bit fearful of it. Um, But she said to just do what I did at home. So I used to... formed a habit of going to church on Sundays and to as many meetings as I could and I set off doing just that and in actual fact I heard my story I hadn't given my story but I heard my own story when I was in Kendall in the Lake District um, in England and that was really amazing there were only four people at the meeting but I heard my own story and I, I did all sorts of things when I was visiting all the different meetings I used to throw my pack into the youth hostel and find where the meeting was so that I could be there early whatever time it was and then um, go to the meeting and usually somebody would walk me home afterwards and I found that really lots of fun and um, so then I returned home and and bought a home and then uh, went back to employment and continued with Alan on. Yeah, okay. Um, so back to you, Marie. Yes. Um, so what sort of things uh, in Al-Anon we're encouraged to talk about our lives, mm. but with an active alcoholic at home, yes. you often can't say very much at all. No. And we, we call this denial in a way because we're denying the reality. Mm. So ha- how did you cope with this sort of dual life of having an active alcoholic at home and having to sort of make up stuff for the family, well, the family and everybody else. Well, um, if, I, if I can quickly just go back to the when I finally decided that and got low enough in my hit my rock bottom, finally um, decided Al-Anon was for me, and I went to my first meeting. I saw the word hope shining on the wall, and and um, a member said to me, "Just keep coming back." And what I really loved was that there were no rules and I could just be myself and people really listened. I was able to say a few words and was very grateful at the first meeting because, like Sylvia, I was hearing stories that I found incredibly honest and, um, you know, I'd never heard that sort of honesty before in my family. So, um, uh, but as far as um, with our six children, um, I've spoken to them each once, but um, I can't at this time go into um, talking about their dad's drinking with them because it's too painful so I don't do that but I'm I'm by example I'm living my own life getting on with things and taking advantage of opportunities that keep coming up every day really I just live a day at a time and my kids are very they're all adults now they're very happy to see me um Enjoying life and living, you know, life on life's terms, as they say. So, thank you. Uh, you're listening to Living Free on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Um, I'm talking to Marie and Sylvia today about living with a family disease of alcoholism and how Alan and family groups can help. So, Marie, 
one of the things that Alan does for people is gives them, I guess, confidence in their own, in themselves, and gives them a voice. So, was that? Did you find that for you that um, you could you were able to articulate how you felt and and you know? Absolutely, yeah. yes. I first picked that skill up through listening and, um, you know, being given the opportunities to say how I felt within meetings. And I was then able to carry that into the home, um, especially with my husband. Uh, so I was able to do things like ask for what I need and um, and if I didn't need things, to do things independently. Um, and, you know, um, if there was um, tension building within us, just to let go of the rope, as they say, like where there's tug of war going on or there has been in the past with my husband – just to let go and and think, you know, there's a slogan we have, how important is it? In the big pictures, some of these things are not that important, really. <laughs> um, yeah, so, like, I didn't come to Al-Anon um, for a long time into my marriage. It was 37 years, you know, I was in my late 50s. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, so I was um, putting up with a lot of stuff and being terribly independent and <laughs> thinking I was strong. But um, eventually I had to let go. Yeah. yeah, and uh, I just feel so grateful that I found the program, and I, and I'm just you know I really love the people in the program too because um, you know they listened to me and they they lifted me up and they gave me a voice, um, and now I'm not you know frightened or intimidated like I was as a as a kid, a teenager, and a young wife and mother. Yeah, so mm. um, I've got a whole lot more um, strength and self esteem from this program. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Mm. Um, Sylvia, um, coming to Al-Anon, you talked about the voices in the head and the committee, I think it was the committee in the head. head. (laughs) (laughs) So did you find that you were able to let that go? Yes, Bill, I did. Um, I found that I was getting a lot quieter within myself, uh, which gave me the ability to be able to listen to other people because a lot of the time, as uh, another person was speaking, I was uh, conducting this, this orchestra was going on in my head about my answer to whatever it was they were talking about and so I'd missed the rest of the conversation that they were talking about and um, I also, it didn't happen immediately but from Al-Anon I learnt that what you can do is ask them, say, look, I'm sorry, I've I've missed some of that, Um, could you repeat yourself so that I could more understand what they were wanting to tell me Um, and I developed that from listening to newcomers because sometimes they would be going so fast that um, they you wouldn't quite understand what well, get the thread of what they were trying to tell me Um, mostly because that also lost their self-esteem and the, they were just getting a voice and I also learned to slow down and so that I could articulate to other people what it was that was happening to me. And, you know, time, you, you have time to tell people the, the important things and you don't have to be rushing through things. And so I st- began to get a better sense of timing in my head that I didn't have to tell people immediately what my problem was. I could take my time and do it when it was the right time and I wished that I'd had that ability um, when I'd been uh, rearing my children and 
in my marriage, particularly as it was breaking down. I'd tried all sorts of things, but I didn't have that skill. And uh, today I can behave in most of the time, I can behave in a lot better way towards other people. And in, in, in the same way, it reflects back that my life is becoming a lot quieter in my mind because I'm just taking the time so that I understand more exactly on a day-to-day and minute-by-minute level about what's happening around me. Yeah. A lot of people don't understand that the non-alcoholic partner is often as affected as the alcoholic partner. The alcoholic partner is affected by the alcohol and the non-alcoholic partner is affected by the behaviour of the alcoholic and trying to control this uncontrollable behaviour. So they go a bit crazy as well. Yes. So, Marie, what's your take on that? Were you a little bit crazy? Oh, yes. I didn't like to think that I was (laughs) because, you know, I thought I was the super responsible one in control of everything, you know, as a super manager and all that. But, yes, I, I have to admit I'm humble enough now to know that I was pretty insane because I kept uh, thinking if I kept doing try harder, try harder. If I kept trying a bit harder, then, you know, something would change. And, and I was just repeating the same old thing over and over and uh, getting the same results, you know. So um, Which I, is the definition of insanity, isn't yes, it? Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. So um, I learned to think outside the box, Bill, and... Um, you know, get a bit more flexibility. Um, I often used to criticise my husband about being so rigid, but really I was too. You know, like sometimes it's a mirror being held up to me. What he's doing, I'm probably doing perhaps not exactly the same, but very similar. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Part of um, serenity is about acceptance. So did, yes. could you, did you find you could accept him as an alcoholic who had a problem? Yes, it took a while though. It took quite a while um, because, you know, I had this overlay of the shame and denial. The denial was very powerful um, and um, it took me quite a while. You know, they say things don't happen quickly in Al-Anon and um, I was um, a bit frightened to let go of that, I think, you know. Um, But once I did, it was so freeing, you know. We talk about being powerless, uh, admitted we had a problem in step one of the 12 steps, that we're powerless over alcohol. Well, you know, when I first came into Alan and I was so angry and everything, I just wanted him to change, as I said before. Um, But I found out fairly quickly that I was the one that was called to change, you know. But it's been a wonderful um, realisation, that though, that I can take my eyes off of him you know, let him get on with his life and I can get on with mine. And actually, it's sort of a minor miracle because he tried to control me first going to Al-Anon um, and that's why I gave it away for a couple of years and I, I was a bit um, overwhelmed by it all. Um, but then eventually I explained to him that this wasn't about him, it was about me finding my own way and understanding my own spirituality. And um, and I really enjoyed, you know, these meetings and the... Um, sense of belonging um, and these people were just you know wonderful so yeah uh, yeah part of the um, obsession is I think you used the the word earlier about called a watching disease mm. so we're so obsessed with the alcoholics mm. drinking that mm. we just focus all our attention on mm. that mm. and we forget about our own lives mm. yeah. exactly yeah. I was trained to be self-sacrificing you know <laughs> from way back um, and um, I didn't think there was any other way to go but um then I realised that, you know, I could. I had choices. I think that was really important for me to discover that I had choices 
it's a really important um, thing in Al-Anon. I think people discover that. Yep. Yeah. Um, Sylvia, um, so earlier you talked about having a sponsor. So what's the value of a sponsor? Well, for me, it's when I get stuck in my thoughts and I'm not moving forward um, and also constantly on a you know, fairly regular basis, it's a good idea to touch base with your sponsor so that you can hear yourself speak um, about things that you may not wish to share at a meeting or might not even be appropriate to so that you can, as you hear yourself speak, uh, honestly and to somebody who is listening very carefully, you can get a greater understanding by putting things into words exactly what it is because you're telling somebody what's happening to you in your life and in also they can reflect back to you something that they see that you may not be able to feel that you can it's just another point of view Um, they're not telling you what to do they're reflecting about something that you've said that they may see in their own lives that they have a similarity so it just helps me to clarify what's going on in my life am I really doing the things that I think that I'm going to do I may plan to do something and I go over and over and over and never get round to doing it (laughs) so whereas if I'm talking to my sponsor about things like that and she says I think you've told me that a few times before and so it sort of keeps you honest yes yeah I think that's an important thing and, and also it it helps um, it, a sponsor's like a friend yes like, like what you call a good friend mm-hmm. yes um, and so they can tell you stuff about you that you wouldn't accept from somebody else <laughs> exactly <laughs> yes yes, yes. Um, so Marie you mentioned earlier about not competing with your husband, mm-hmm. but in Al-Anon, you have to put yourself out there all the time, mm-hmm. and, and part of that is is being involved in service. So yes. what sort of things, what sort of changes have, have you had in your life once you got involved in Al-Anon? Oh, lots of changes, Bill, really. Um, I was encouraged very early on after about coming to, um, once I decided Al-Anon was for me, Within the first six months, um, one of the long-time members, we needed a group rep in our group, and she said, oh, I think you'd be good at that. I said, what what does a group rep do? You know, I had no idea. But because I trusted the people and because she encouraged me as a long-time member, and she she saw something in me that I couldn't see in myself, and she believed with the, um, you know, encouragement of the group as well that I could do this, and and it was... um, something that I felt, even though I didn't understand what was required, that it was a way for me to get that deep sense of belonging within the group and to feel that um, appreciation. People just kept encouraging me. You know, it was so different to my childhood where I was to be seen and not heard, you know, and and in the marriage as well. It was more or less, um, you know, serving the family, but not getting that um, appreciation. Not that I did it for that, but you know, I didn't get much appreciation. No, <laughs> surprise. <laughs> and the other one is having choices, and so it really, mm. it's up to you to choose what to do. Mm. There's plenty of options. There's such a freedom yeah. in Al-Anon, you know, and that's what I, I like the idea of what they say. Reaching for there's a book called Reaching for Personal Freedom, 
And um, once I really put my heart into it, I mean, I knew quite a few things in my head, but it's the journey between the, the head and the heart is a challenge. And even, you know, developing compassion for my husband, that has been a change in my attitude from when I first came into Al-Anon because um, I was, you know, as I said before, full of anger and resentment towards him that he was drinking. I didn't understand that he was suffering from a disease and um, it wasn't my fault, as they say. I heard at the first meeting I didn't cause it, I can't control it and I can't cure it. I'd love to do all of those things, but I can't. And so I've had to let go and accept that he's got a disease. I'm affected by it too. But that doesn't mean that I will um, continue in misery. You know, I've experienced a lot of joy in my life these days that I didn't have before. And it's really because of my higher power and Al-Anon and working the program, working because I'm seeking recovery. When I first came into Al-Anon, I was seeking something. I didn't know what. Mm. Deeper spirituality, basically. Yeah. And I found that through the program. And I'd highly encourage anybody who's listening to give it a go. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. If you've got a problem, if you if you're trying to control an alcoholic, <laughs> Alaron can help. Yes. <laughs> uh, so the other one, Sylvia, was this concept of a disease concept of of alcoholism, which is different to the way a lot of people view it as a decision by the alcoholic to make our lives really hard by drinking. So do you want to talk about how do you relate to alcoholics now you understand they suffer from a disease? I'm much more comfortable. I was so fearful. I I was actually quite frightened. I didn't realise how frightened I was um, until I happened to be um, in a situation in England where a whole group of people were um, drinking together at a gliding club and there was one man who obviously was falling about a little and um, I had to actually remove myself to the back of the club rooms because um, I was frightened that he might somehow try to engage me in conversation and I didn't, I really was frightened. And so what I did was I watched other people, I removed myself and then I watched other people who were behaving comfortably and graciously um, sometimes engaging with him and other times um, just getting on with their own business. And I learnt a lot from that. And I learnt to do that by coming to Al-Anon and realising that it was me that was having the problems. It wasn't necessarily somebody who was drinking, that my behaviour was frequently out of order as to how to deal with myself and certainly my thinking was um, sometimes we call it stinking thinking but also that that I really didn't know how to behave graciously um, or or be settled in my mind and that has uh, I now can feel quite comfortable and confident in myself when things like that happen and and if I do begin to feel concern, I can always remove myself. Whereas before I used to just almost be numb with, um, what's it like when you, you know, you can't move, uh, just yeah, frozen. frozen. Yeah. Yep. Frozen, yes. And when I first came into Al Anon, that was my how I used to relate. And in actual fact, when I look back on my situation, um, my uh, husband's drinking was nowhere near bad. But my because of my the way in which I was read, it was a huge fearful thing to me. And I often uh, behaved some some people say like a, a banshee, uh, a screaming banshee, because some. If things weren't quite right, if I did manage to say anything, it would be quite inappropriate 
Not all the time, but certainly sometimes. Original. Okay, thank you. So that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Marie and Sylvia for coming in today and sharing their Allen and Family Group recovery experience with us. Thank you, Bill. Great thank opportunity. You, Bill. Thank yes. You. Yeah, um, thank you, Bill. And if if anybody out there is interested in contacting Allen and Family Groups, you can find help. Um, you can contact them by phone on one three hundred two five two six 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 or go online at alanon.org.au. I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be having a radiothon, and I'll be joined by members of Alcoholics Anonymous, Gamblers Anonymous, and Narcotics Anonymous. Um, So listen in and donate to support 3CR. Stay tuned now for Black Noise Radio, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news and views, current affairs, music, sport, culture, and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. Thanks for listening to the Living Free program today.